you have to figure out how to write each book. Every yeah. single <laughs> book is going to present some new challenge, something that's a little bit different. Every single one is re- going to require something that you haven't done. You are now listening to Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing with your host, John Robinson IV. Here we smash walls, demolish writer's blocks, and learn how to harness the true power of storytelling. Let's get it cracking. Claudia Gray is an island's paranormal romance young adult fiction writer renowned for her Evernight series, the Firebird trilogy, and her Constellation trilogy. She is also well known for her Star Wars novels, not limited to, but including Lost Stars, Princess Leia Bloodline, and most recently, Star Wars The High Republic's Fallen Star. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Beyond the Fourth Wall of Writing podcast. I am your host, John Robinson IV, and with me today is Claudia Gray. Hi there. <laughs> um, so yeah, again, thanks for coming on. Um, I, I, like, like I was saying before we got started, uh, I've read several of your books. Um, love them. I gotta say, um, I gotta say, I, oh, Lost Stars was a was a really big surprise for me um, because mm-hmm. I read. I remember, things, so I'm not the biggest romance novel fan, right? Okay, mm-hmm. uh, nothing against anybody like romance. Romance is cool, just not my particular thing. So when I first saw that the, I think the book was like like the little log line or the short line was said, oh, it's a Star Wars romance novel. I think at the time that's all I saw, and I was like, oh, okay, well. I like Star Wars. I'm not the biggest fan of romance. I'll probably still eventually read it, but you know, like uh, I'll get to it. That was kind of my mindset about it initially, yeah. right? Um, and then when I when I read it, I was like, "Why didn't I read this book before?" <laughs> and I was like, "That's what I get for like you know judging a genre by its cover," you know? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, because it was it was just there was there was just so much in there, you know. You I mean there was I mean it was a romance story, but there was there was so many other elements that like really brought it all together. Um yeah. and having it yeah, go ahead. I mean it was just an attitude that I saw a lot in Star Wars because a lot of people really burned by romance. I think they thought about <laughs> the way Anakin and Padme played out in the movies, which was not great right. relationship <laughs> writing. Right. Um but then you ask the same people like well, what about Han and Leia? And they all love Han and Leia. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody likes some kind of love story in the right context for them to like it. Right, right. Uh, you know, there are plenty of people, and sometimes I'm one of them who can enjoy a love story that is, you know, the main central thread of it. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you have a romance that's part of another plot and the characters are fully dimensional and the things that are happening in the relationship are married to the things that are going on in the plot and not taking away from it. Yeah. You know, pretty much everybody will bite. Pretty much everybody likes right. that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, like we could, we, we could actually kind of start off talking about that a little bit. Um, so about, about the, like, I like what you said about the, the central thread, you know, like, so I'm not the biggest fan of romance is the central thread or if it's, or I think it's the marketing, if it's marketed as, the central thread. I like if there's something else going on. Don't get me wrong. I, I guess like romance is a concept I like. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a very loving human being. But um, but like uh, I I think I usually need something else. Like I what comes to mind kind of is like a walk to remember. Right? There's a there's it's a love story, but there's like a very major. I don't want to. I know it's old movie, but still. <laughs> but it, it I don't. I it's so good that I don't want anybody to be spoiled by what's going on in there. But like this. But it's not, it's a love movie, but there's another 
thread in there that's like really like heart wrenching, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I think all the best romances. I mean, the romance can be the central thread. It can right. be the main thing, but how is it interacting with the world around it? What right. level of insight? Whatever. Uh, you know, I just finished the book that I just finished is the second in my series of sort of Jane Austen uh, character mysteries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Pride and Prejudice is probably the single most famous romantic novel of all time. And it works. It still works. I mean, think about, is there any other book that's more than 200 years old that's regularly read for fun? (laughs) I know, yeah. (laughs) Not in classrooms, not by just a couple of people out there, but like Mm -hmm. mass readership for fun. I don't know that there is. Mm -hmm. And, but when you read it, read it, there's still very, very sharp, commentary on sort of the morals and manners of the age and Mm -hmm. some of it is very specific to that time and lets you feel like you're peeking into this other world some of it still rings absolutely true right right. Uh, character types you know you may not know uh, a clergyman who is inheriting an estate entailed on (laughs) the male line but you've run into a Mr. Collins, this mm. guy who's just an incredible snob and just slavers over the one really yeah. wealthy, important person, just ad nauseum. Everybody, <laughs> you know, Mr. Collins, even though the specifics are changed. And so you have that. I mean, the romance is wonderful in some mm-hmm. ways. It's the I think it's the beginning of modern romance because it right. isn't. Um, you are pretty. I like you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the two protagonists, I mean, Elizabeth is the real protagonist, but Darcy, the two people, each of them makes a terrible mistake. Those terrible mistakes, co- terrible mistakes collide. Mm. And they leave that first collision. Both of them are just completely torn up. And right. there's no guarantee they'll ever see each other again. But even before they do meet again, you realize both people are forever going to be better people because right. of what they learned in that moment what right, they exactly. learned in that interaction. Uh, and when they meet again, as these improved mm-hmm. people, you know, uh, then the romance is able to really begin. Right. right. Um, but, you know, and that's really, that's sort of the height of what you can do with, yeah. A romantic storyline. I mean, all. Sorry, I have said this before, but <laughs> no, I'm saying it. Romance, when done correctly, is about the. It's about the unity of opposites. It's about the reconciliation mm. of two things that should not be able to be reconciled. Right, right, um, right. You know, and when you're able to marry that thematically, like that's it's hugely powerful. Right. Hugely. Yeah, and I, and I think so. I, I was thinking about so one of the things that I was that I was like tying together threads and stuff that I, that I really enjoy. And, and like all of your books really is um even if it's not directly romance uh, relationships, just character interactions, character relationships are a big deal. Oh God, I'm about to, I must've go back in time for a minute and forget okay. the name of this character. I was thinking of Leia Ransom Castelfo, I think is his name. Uh-huh. Castelfo? It's supposed to be Castelfo. Castelfo. Okay. <laughs> uh yeah yeah okay so okay so and Casterful, um they have this really it's not romantic but it's like this really interesting like real like op like kind of opposites meet like like, like what you just said opposites meets type 
of relationships. And mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that a little bit, like what's some, not maybe not specifically that way you can use that if you want, but like generally what, what are like kind of the tools and the building blocks to creating great relationships, whether it's, you know, I know you mentioned the opposite thing already, but whether it's romantic or just like Leia and, and Ransom. Um, let me start with the specifics of Ransom Castrofo mm-hmm. and sort of build out from there, because that was actually like, in all of my career, original or tie-in work, one of the characters I got to really position the best, I think, yeah, opposite yeah. another character. Mm-hmm. Because one of the um, things I got when they were like, we would like you to write this book mm-hmm. uh, about Leia. And they said when it would take place and gave me a, bit, a couple bits of information. And they were like, there's no Luke. There's mm-hmm. no Han. There's no uh, Ben Solo. Right, right. And they're at all. And a lot of that was because, you know, I loved the old legends books. I owned mm-hmm. many of them. I mean, I started going and buying them at Walden books in the mall. <laughs> in the day. Yeah. You know? um, but a lot of times Leia kind of wound up doing the less interesting thing mm. in some of the big adventures, not always, but yeah. sometimes it kind of felt like, Oh, you know, they're, doing great things and going around in ships and lightsaber <laughs> battles and Leia's in the Senate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and which, you know, nobody was like, I want more star Wars political scenes, which was another thing when they gave me bloodline, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. we have to get out of the Senate. Some. We gotta- right. Oh, but you put a twist on that in bloodline. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, uh, I did push back on the Han thing because they wanted Darth Vader's revelation that he was her father in the yeah. book. Right, and I was like, right, right. listen, if you're saying they're still married at this point, which they said that they were, mm-hmm. like, if if he can bodily come to her after that, he's going to do it. Right. Uh, and they mm-hmm. said, okay. But they did not want it overshadowed. They wanted Leia to have her story. Right. And, All right. So the Castro character was in the original idea, which is unusual. Usually when they give you the idea for a book, it's got like two lines and that's it. This was about mm. a page. But Castro was a much smaller character and he actually came from, he came from the original George Lucas idea for Mm. this. Uh, but he was very much just a baddie. Yeah. Uh, he worked for Leia, which I had a problem with because I'm like, this woman led not one, (laughs) but two underground resistance movements for many years without dying. I'm like, this is not a person who doesn't know who to trust. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Very honed skills in that area. She wouldn't even have made it to a new hope, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And he secretly had this collection of this uh, Imperial paraphernalia. I was like, okay, let's make him more openly her adversary. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I want him to be younger than her. So there's a little bit of kind of the Ben Solo thing. Like yeah, she's not really yeah. toward him, but there's the sense like I'm a little older, I'm a little wiser, and you're sort of this young person rushing headlong at things. Mm-hmm. Uh and then also wanted um you know, a little bit of Luke in that this is somebody she really like had more serious talks with and mm-hmm with on that level and a little bit of the Han in that like this person can drive her crazy (laughs) (laughs) and just the person and yet really kind of enjoy it. And Mm -hmm. so he was built to sort of play off all of those missing. Right. (laughs) I mean, I, I 
would never say like, oh, you can only tell a female character's story in relationship to the men in her life, you know, mm. that crap. But at the same right. time, it's also really reductive to look at somebody who is a wife without her husband, a mm. mother without her son, a sister without her brother, mm-hmm. at, in a book that is about the fathers. Yeah. You know, she had yeah, family is a big deal. Family, like bring, yeah. bringing a character away from their family is tough. Exactly. I was like, it, it isn't really credible to dive into a character in that position and not deal with the fact that like there, there is a loneliness. There is a mm-hmm. sense of something lacking and Castrofo fits in that in his own unique way. He's mm-hmm. not the model of any one of those guys, but he brings a little bit of that energy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think it really made that work very well. So, um, yeah, I think it it helps. I mean, if you're trying to build characters, you know, relationships, mm-hmm. want characters that have a lot of facets and and nuance and interest, right, right, and that are going to clash with each other or interact in some way that isn't total agreement anyway um mm-hmm. in a more than one way it can't just be you know if lost stars was just i'm with the empire i'm with the rebels then <laughs> you know it doesn't necessarily work in the same way because you're like come on like quit the empire be done with it right so it, the book had to be also you know for for the book to work for cyana to work as a character it had to be mm-hmm. like what does loyalty mean to this person? What does duty mean? Right. Right. Uh, as far as you know, she is serving the, the lawful government and the state mm-hmm. and she's sworn to do this thing. And that's something that's vitally important for her to do. Right. And Thane, meanwhile, is somebody who has been given reasons not to trust authority. Right. And, yeah. and that turns him first against the empire. But even when he joins the rebellion, he's not all, you know, cheerful. May the force be with you. He's sort of like, yeah, what, you guys what better I, the empire will roll with that. You know, what I really like about, um, Sienna and, and, and lost stars, especially is that there's that, so that the loyalty was like a very, very strong through, through point in her character. And there's a certain point in the book, I believe after she, she's in the same room as the emperor. Um, and she kind of gets the, you know, the feeling like, whoa, mm-hmm. this is bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I didn't know, like, this is actually, like, I can actually feel the dark. I mean, she doesn't know it's the dark side, but she's kind of yeah, like, yo, like, this is. Anybody notice this? This, right. <laughs> this guy's super evil. Does anybody right. see it? Yeah, but, but it's like, but because of the, you know, the culture where she's from on Angelican. Angelican. Okay. Yeah. Whew. See, I, I'm going back, going back. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really bad at names, like remembering names of like places it's and characters. Um, uh, but yeah, when she, when she goes, uh, like we, we go back to like where she's from and how she's raised and it's even like kind of the flaw, which is, I think a good thing of her character is that even when she realizes that I'm doing this thing, she's like, but I have, I have to stay loyal to it because I started it. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's kind of the, at least that's what I get from. She's like, yeah. you know, so yeah. all the way to the end when she's on over, over Jakku and she's like given the final command, it's just like, I just have to stay loyal because that's what I, that's what I signed up for. So I'm supposed yeah. to do, you know, and, and, and has yeah. like to some degree much less than Nash Windrider in that book, but mm-hmm. Nash Windrider is the extreme of it. Yeah. <laughs> from all around and he winds up being this, you know, empire fanatic because otherwise mm. 
he has to admit that what happened was absolutely that wrong and that horrible. Right. Yeah. For something. And Sina isn't that mixed up, but he is maybe going like, I've gone this far down this road. Mm -hmm. I must see it through, even though she now understands on some levels that this Mm. is regrettable. Right. Um, Yeah. So you have that. Or um, in terms of multifaceted characters, you know, having different things. Um, a non-Star Wars book, Defy the Stars. Mm-hmm. You have Abel, who is an artificial life form that looks right. human. It maybe has a few more uh, emotional and <laughs> capacities than even his creator bargained for. And then you mm-hmm. have Noemi, who is a young woman who's been raised in a planet that's been at war for as long as she's been alive. Uh, she's basically grown up with the idea that she is cannon fodder. Her life right. is not that much to her. It's all about the mission. And so mm-hmm. uh, each of them, this is the way, like, obviously they conflict because they're on different sides of the war. Um, right, right. Because he is not human and is trying to figure things out, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, neither of them has ever been allowed the um, the freedom to define themselves as themselves. Right, right. Yeah. Either so they're on the same journey, literally and um, emotionally, in that mm-hmm. that from very different vantage points, they're actually working on the same fundamental questions. Mm, yeah, yeah. When do I stop listening to what authority has told me I'm always meant to be? Each mm-hmm. of them takes a dramatic step back from that in yeah. the course of that book. So you know that's a thing where the you have the different facets. Yes, you have the opposites, but the fact that they're going toward the same place from two very different. Right. Parts, yeah. That, 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 that can be a really powerful way to work. Right. Yeah. Answering. I mean, so there's very, cause I like to think of stories and, and, you know, and, and uh, I mean, there's a million ways to think about stories, but I like to think of, you know, whether it's a uh, character based or whether there's a question needs to be answered. Sometimes a little bit of both. Um, I mean, the, these lines cross all over the place. Um, but like, I, th- I think when you figure out that thing, then, uh, and you're, you're, con- you're conscious of it, then, I mean, you're, you're able to like create a compelling, uh, journey for the, for the characters. So like those two coming together and then being like being very different, but still on a very similar path is, is really good. I mean, I, I remember the, the, I think the part that hit me though, the hardest in that book was, um, when he's talking to his dad, uh, I'm not, I'm being vague-ish, but his, his dad, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and he learns a truth about mm-hmm. how his dad thinks about him and, and, and why he thinks about him that way. And it's like, man, that's like a, you know, um, and then also like, it also solidifies that this, he really is different from the other, um, mm-hmm. androids. Like he's like the emotion, the, his emotional capacity is, is very real, you know? Yes. Um, which, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a, I mean, in Android stories, that's one of the biggest things that, uh, yeah. like it's, it'll never get old. I, I always find it interesting. The Android who's created like their emotions. How do they, you yeah. know, what is a, you know, do you have a soul? What is that? It's a that classic whole... for a reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was fun to look at it from a, a definitely religious standpoint mm-hmm. in Defy the Stars. Um, because Noemi, the planet she's from, they're very spiritual and literally having to say, like, does he have a soul? Right, exactly. Because to her, that is a big line. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. You know, a lot depends on that. 
and Prim, yeah, I mean, it's a classic for a reason. We we love when the androids have emotions and <laughs> yeah. themselves. But hopefully, like like you said, hopefully the fact that the character we know that he thinks of as his dad mm-hmm. so fundamentally sort of pulls the rug out from under that. Right. Man, that hit me. That hit me hard. I was like, oh, man, that's just... Because for a second in the book, like within that chapter, I believe, for a second, from his perspective, you're kind of like, oh, does he really, you know, <laughs> does his dad really, you know? And then like when, it, when you kind of, you know, when you get a little deeper, again, I'm trying to be vague, but when you get a little deeper into that chapter, you're like, oh, this is what's going on. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, I, so, yeah. So, I, okay. So on that same note of character, uh, character asking a question, character development, uh, and, and character relationships, I guess. Um, I, I, so character relationships are, uh, are one of the powerful things that you put in a story. Like you, you have a, you, everybody knows, well, not everybody knows, but you start with your protagonist usually. Um, uh, or if you're starting with the character at all, I got, let me, let me note that as well. Sometimes you may start with an event. Sometimes you may start with a, uh, uh-huh. just genre. Sometimes you may start with a, a billion things. But, um, when you get to your character stage, at least, whether it's first or a little bit later on, um, you have your protagonist. But then, you, but then you got to think about um, who is that protagonist interacting with, um, mm-hmm. and so when, when I think about that, um, I, I guess my question is how do you how do you or, or what is a good way to uh, meld your your character your character driven story or your, your character driven plot line um, with other aspects of the plot like the like the plot at large? Um, to clarify what I mean by that is in Defy the Stars. There's a war going on. <laughs> there's a there's a whole war going on, and yet, like the war feels very real, and yet there's still like this character, like very character relationship driven story. How did what's a uh, how did, how would you approach balancing that kind of thing out? Um, for me, I always call it a tennis match. I don't really start with the characters or the premise. Yeah. Usually, there's a premise like, oh, what if this, and then it's like, hmm. oh. Who is the person or the couple of people who are most interesting in that scenario? Now we have them and it's sort of like what event starts to challenge them. Mm, All right. Then what does that bring out in these people? For me, it's always like a little bit of a tennis match, you know, going (laughs) plot, character, plot, character, Mm. going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, This one, uh, I've told this story before, but Defy the Stars literally <laughs> came out of like, what if the movie Prometheus did not suck? You know? Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah that movie hurt me too. <laughs> movie, but you could tell that at one point in its development, there had been a good script right. and it could have been a good movie. And sometimes Numi Rapace and Michael Fassbender were in that movie. Mm-hmm. And Michael Fassbender's performance in particular, it's like criminal that that got wasted. Because <laughs> um, you know, he did such a good job of being like, uncanny yeah you know he was human but something's just a little off right (laughs) really hard to define um but you know and that character uh elizabeth i believe is her name in the movie Mm -hmm. he was religious in the hollywood meaning of religious which means she says at some point i'm religious and she wears a cross (laughs) right and i was like you know there's a really decent story to be told there like really specifically through a religious lens Mm -hmm. and you know Ridley Scott's had plenty of time to get to this on the 
had plenty of chances. They don't seem interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, I'll go there. I'll, I'll try that. So, and, uh, and the relationship between the Android and the creator in that movie, while it wasn't specifically like, Oh, I'll, you know, what happens in five stars right, exactly. was a little bit more of a personal kind of, uh, almost fatherly kind of energy there. Right. There was a right. personal dedication. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, and I, and I, so I, so I think, I think so. So that's theme, right? Or, or, or some of, at least to me, it speaks like theme, you know, or, or, or different types of themes in the middle of the story. Um, and I, I always say on this podcast, theme is like one of the most elusive concepts in writing, like to, to yeah. understand or to, or to get down. Um, but, but I think once you like understand what your theme is, like, uh, and understand where your story is coming from, like you said, you're, you, you knew that you were coming from, all right, how do I make Prometheus a good? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but, uh, but yeah, like, like, uh, if, if you're, if you're coming from that place and, and, and you know your theme and then you're able to tie all the other elements together, which I think is one of the hardest parts of writing is like, there's all these different things that you have to think about. Yeah. And, you know, and when you're, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm in the middle of a chapter, it's hard to grasp all of those things when I'm at, when I'm actually writing. I think I have to step back and look at it, yeah. you know, like either before, like, but maybe, maybe I'm thinking about what I'm writing before and I'm looking at it. And I, I get an idea or a rough idea. I start writing it. Uh, I think I'm doing something while I'm writing, but I'm just like, go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I, and then I let it sit for a, you know, a day or so. I come back to it and read it after and say, okay, d- am I hitting like what I thought I was supposed to be hitting here? You know? Um, and, and, and I think somewhere in the midst of that, I, I, I kind of find the theme. Um, yeah. I find <laughs> my best thematic stuff is stuff that I'm not fully aware of while writing, but for figure out late in the game and right. then able to bring out a little bit more. Um, the very few times I've tried to impose it from the beginning, it hasn't really worked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas sometimes I go through something and I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. Like I had to um, basically get all the way through uh, into the dark. My first high Republic novel before I was oh, like, yeah. Oh wait, this is a book about grief. Right. Yeah. To- <laughs> remotely understood that until I was, you know, a good 80% of the way yeah. through. I was like, oh, okay. You know, and then on edits, I was able to bring that out a little more without it being, you know, hopefully. Wow, editing is writing. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I had not realized that it was not a thing I anticipated. And uh-huh. I, I really am kind of glad I didn't walk to the rest of the guys and go, <laughs> Hey, I'm going to do a, a book about grief because right. is that really what we want right at the beginning of this? Yeah. But hopefully, it's in there with the adventure plot and everything else that's happening. Yeah. Uh, that it's working, but uh, yeah, sometimes it just surprises you. These things mm. they work their way into the story. Like I didn't even think about this, but I've seen it enough since. Uh, again, the Star Wars book, um, Master and Apprentice. Yeah. People are like, this book is about communication. It's about <laughs> everything that goes unsaid and how bad, mm. in some ways, the Jedi are at communicating. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because they've sort of gotten into this mindset by the time of the prequel era. And when, you know, first of all, I was like, huh? And then I thought, I was like, whoa, okay. So- <laughs> yeah, I really like discovering. I really like discovering kind of, like, well, first on discovery. I, I, I think when you're writing, I think it's very much a journey of discovering. Uh, discovery. I think that you're, that you're, you're very much learning your characters as you go. 
learning. Sometimes you're learning what your story is about as you go. Sometimes, you know, you, like, like you said, the, you know, you, you realized it was grief a little bit later on. Um, and then, even in, um, master and apprentice communication, um, you know, uh, and I, and I guess it's, it's been a while since I read master. And, I read it when it first, first came out. So I, I try to remember the name of the character who I believe Qui-Gon was his master first. No, uh, he was, uh, Dooku's, um, Padawan before Qui-Gon. Before, was, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, Rail Avaros. Rail. Yeah. Yeah. I liked him. <laughs> yeah. I like, I liked him. And then I like, again, again, with character relationships, the, the interaction, the, the rail, like rail is very, I don't, I'm not sure the way to describe it. A little rough around the edges, maybe. A little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but, but I like that. Really, for first of all, I like these Jedi who are people. <laughs> first of all, um, like, like I mean, I mean, and I mean, people who may make mistakes. Who the Jedi are about? Uh, don't show your emotions and no attachments. But they, but yes, you're you're trying to remove your attachments. But at the same time, it's like you're human, you know, or or whatever other sentient species, you know, <laughs> you're you're a you're sentient species that experiences emotions, you know, and to cut them off is is very difficult you know it's like half compassion but don't have attachments you know yeah it's it's not really healthy to divorce yourself entirely right, uh and right. real gets that and honestly that was one of the things that we were all kind of getting at with the high republic that it was a time when the jedi yeah. order was a little more flexible a little more individual a little yeah. less um hierarchical and centralized mm. and so you have Jedi who, I mean, you still have people who very much are walking a path the prequel Jedi would 100% recognize and, uh, and vibe with, but you also have some people that are doing it in very different ways Mm -hmm. without other Jedi thinking they're wrong. Right, right, exactly. More of a sense that, uh, people are discovering their way to walk with the force. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Order stands for a lot of these ways a lot of the different ways are permissible within it or even you have the idea of the way seeker who is somebody who's going to step away from the order because they feel like they have to go on their own you know journey with the force yeah and they're not part of the order for that time but there's always that idea they are welcome to return right right disgrace you you've let us down Mm -hmm. you've betrayed our ideals it's like oh you need to do that for a while Right. Yeah. There, there's a character in Into the Dark. I believe, like, again, names, but there's a character in oh, Into the Dark. Training. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 I, I remember that, which, which, I mean, also, also a great book. And I, I know, I know that you recently, um, they re- re- recently released the, uh, the third book of the High Republic series. Let me see. And there's uh, Fallen Star. Yeah. Fallen there's, Star. Yeah. Yeah. The adult novels. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, so Fallen Star. I mean, I'm 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 excited to see what's going on. I have not read that one yet. I've been what I've been reading lately. Oh, I've been I've been stuck on the last book of the Expanse. Uh, <laughs> I'm on book <laughs> nine. A whole month. How could you have had anything else to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm usually on top of my Star Wars books. I love Star Wars, but the Expanse has just taken like ever since I read the first book of the Expanse, I've been like, man, mind blowing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but and the last book came out a while. I was late on the last book too when it came out. So I was kind of like, oh wait, this is that book has been out for a month and I've and I missed it. So let me uh. So let me Let's catch up. I did how you guys are keeping up reading. <laughs> I certainly don't know how we're keeping it up writing it. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I feel like you guys knock out these books really, really fast, which I mean, I know, I know with also deadlines. That, yes. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think deadlines are kind of what, what light the fire. It's like, okay, we, well, it's got to be done by this date, no matter what. So, um, yeah, I mean, deadlines can be good. Uh, I yeah. am taking a, a brief step back from writing some Star Wars full length fiction just because mm-hmm. I need to be spending a little bit more time on my own stuff and also be able to work. And oh, I mean, you can write a book as quickly as Star Wars needs you to write it. And I've done that, what yeah. is it, six times now? Yeah. Six times now. Yeah. Um, but you really need a little time before and after that to kind of right. get your bearings and do other things, you know, because it usually involves about three months, mm. maybe four, but usually three months of writing time or in the case of bloodline less. Right. And you can do that, but then, you know, the two months after that, you're not super productive. You're sort of, mm. you know, sitting quietly, you know, with a blanket and your cocoa, just sort of <laughs> recuperating. And then you do that, you know, what was it? I guess the two High Republic books came out within a year of each other. Yeah, yeah, they're so very, very. High twice. Republic's been coming out very fast in general. Yeah, so that was twice within a year, and I was just a little like, "This is not good for me. This is not going to be good for the books." You know, I, I need a little bit more space. I will be doing more, you know, High Republic and Star Wars stuff, uh, but I was like, I've got to have a little bit of a break from that. Because yeah, I want to work yeah. on other things, and also just because it is a grind, and mm-hmm. you know, at some point you're going to start getting diminishing returns. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to to have this thing where the readers are going, mm, you know, and are really disappointed, and right. uh, you you have to you have to take care of that creative side of yourself. And mm-hmm. I mean, you don't want to be, you know, everybody knows that writer who's just like a little bit too precious. Mm-hmm what what they're doing and how they're doing it and yeah. you know and they got to have this kind of candle or they actually write in longhand and how could you right. real words okay, so, so i want to i want to talk about that a little bit because because you mentioned the deadlines and how that de- deadlines could be a good thing um and yeah. and and so what i, I want to take from that is applying deadlines to personal writing because there's a lot of people who are you know, I'm not like, I'm not on a, any writing deadlines. I still need to knock out whatever books I need to knock out, but it's easier to be like, ah, I'll do it tomorrow. And then keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow over uh-huh. and over again. Um, so yeah. I guess, I guess I, what I want to ask is, uh, do you use, uh, like how, how was your, how was your process? Do you use outlines to start off with? Do you give yourself dates to finish a certain amount of words or, mm-hmm. uh, kind of what's your process to complete things in a timely manner? Even if you don't have a, even if it's a personal thing that you don't have a hard deadline on. Um, gosh, it's been a while since I haven't had deadlines. <laughs> uh, yeah. Honestly, though, I mean, when I think back to that, I think back to mostly my fan fiction. And I always was like, I've got to get it out there. I've got to do it. Got to go. Right. Um, for me, I think the thing that, that drove me on hardcore is I always really love my endings. I always feel really psyched to get to the ending. Mm-hmm. And I don't let myself fully write that until I've written the rest of the book. Right. So right. it's the carrot on the stick, you know, like, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, deadlines are good. I mean, it, you know, I know a lot of people are like, I would write if I had the time and I'm always thinking, and I say this before, it's like, I'm a full-time writer. It is my job to write books. I do not have time to write. Right. Right. Nobody has time to write. There's always laundry. There's always, um, you know, family commitments, there are always mm-hmm. taxes to do, uh, you know, yeah. there are 
always things. Uh, you have to, you have to value it enough and value yourself enough and Mm -hmm. your, you know, desire to do this enough to carve out that time. Mm -hmm. And the prioritization. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I, it really had gotten to the point and this was before I sold, but, um, I mean, I wrote a lot of fan fiction. I need to be clear. (laughs) Really got to the point where it was sort of like the default Mm -hmm. assumption for any time I wasn't at my day job was, I will be writing unless. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That was it. Like, unless, you know, if somebody had a party or I absolutely had to go, you know, get, I don't know what, you know, something for the plumbing or whatever. <laughs> unless I was specifically really, really needing or really, really wanting to be doing something else. Mm-hmm. I would be writing. Right. And, um, I would carve out a lot of evenings that way. And one thing I did, uh, and this was after I sold my first books, but still had a day job was I would divide up my weekends. And of course, this is easier for those of us without kids or at least without smaller kids. Uh, but everything that I was going to do social wise, errand wise, et cetera, wise, I would do say on the Saturday. Oh yeah. All that would happen on Saturday. Sunday I wrote. Mm-hmm. Eight hours in. Yeah. Just do that. Uh, that helped a lot because longer bursts of time, at least for me, I know everybody's process is different, but I think it's true for a fair number of writers. You kind of have to get in the groove of the thing and then you begin producing words much more quickly after the first, you know, half hour or hour even sometimes. And so if, when you're able to get in that flow and then keep some time for yourself, in that flow actually have a bit of an extended period of time. If you're able to do it, um, that is super helpful. Again, not everybody gets that. Um, again, with Jane Austen, like I said, I just finished, uh, this, uh, second book in that series and I'm reading a biography of her at the time. And very famously, you know, Jane Austen did not have a, a room to go work in and write. And she lived with her mother and her sister and another relative. And they were frequently being visited by more family. And even though she was a very serious and professional novelist and Mm -hmm. looked after all of this, she couldn't present herself that way. That was not (laughs) that was socially acceptable for a woman to do. Like, I can't talk with you right now. I have to work. And you can see her writing desk. They still have this. And it's so little. It's this little round desk with a top that would hold like a laptop and a Coke or something, you know, (laughs) not that it did in her case, but like, that's about the size of it, like not very big. And she would be writing it with ink and quill, you know, longhand, Mm -hmm. another sheet of paper. And if somebody came in, she would move the paper over what she was writing Mm. so that it wasn't on display that she was and all of her amazing books got done, you know, with these little bits of time here and there, which on the one hand, that is amazing and hats off because I couldn't do it. And I know a lot, of people <laughs> do it, but I think it also kind of makes you go, oh, what would we have gotten if she could have? Right, right. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, I think if you're able to really seriously prioritize time, a deadline is a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
or a writing goal. I found that for me, I set my writing goals in terms of how far I want to get at a point in the narrative. Uh Because when I did word counts, I realized I was subconsciously like scenes were starting to get slack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was consciously doing it, but they were getting a little bit bigger than they needed to be, a little bit fluffier, you know. Yeah. Sort of, <laughs> equivalent of, you know, trimming in those margins on the term paper, you know, oh, more paper on the sides. Yeah. The uh, so um, that works for me, but uh, you ha- you just have to, if you're going to progress, You have to prioritize it enough that you're spending enough time on that, that you're getting words down, that you're able to see projects through to completion. And it's really powerful the first time you finish a thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The first novel length thing I finished was a fan fiction. And (laughs) that's not going to be a thing I can sell ever. But it was tremendously empowering for me to have finished 90,000 words and know Mm. that had a beginning and a middle and an end and subplot. Right. From that time on, I had a sense of like the heft that a story needed to have Mm -hmm. a novel, which I hadn't understood at all before. And there's like, oh, it's about that much. Once you've got that much, you can work with it. Um, That was hugely liberating for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people start a project and start a project and start a project. And they think like this one will be the one Mm. that make me like that. Well, I'll be able to do the way that I want. um, I mean, we all know, uh, what was it? I believe it was Shakira who sang in Zootopia. Uh, <laughs> part of learning yeah. is getting it wrong. Yeah. But, um, yeah, don't, you, you know, go ahead. Like if you're not happy with the beginning, go ahead and write the ending. You're not that happy with. Right. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole thing. But then by then, you know, like I've written a 5,000 word story or I've written, uh, mm-hmm. A ninety thousand word novel. I've done it. Just the right. knowledge that you have done it and finished it—that is really empowering. And yeah, and setting self-imposed deadlines for that can be super helpful. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, so what I was thinking about when you were you were talking about, you know, uh, basically getting to the end. I think it's important because um, if you if we start a lot of stories, and let's say you're good writers, let's let's you know, let's say you're really really good. Um, you know, maybe you're in the beginning, middle of a career, you're, you're pretty good, but you're, you're, you keep starting like from the beginning, right? So you have a lot of chapter ones through, I don't know, a dozen chapters, right? Um, yeah. But um, then somehow, you know, you get a, you get a job or a, I don't know, maybe you won't get a job, but we'll, we'll just say you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and finish this novel for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Just not, you know, now when you get to the middle or the end, you feel lost because you've wrote, I mean, you've written, um, I don't know, a dozen starters, <laughs> yeah. but you've never done a middle and an end. So the act three yeah. is like completely new. <laughs> you know? yeah. And the middle, I mean, I think every author will tell you the middle, that's where that, I mean, that's the proving ground. It is. Oh yeah. How do you write the middles? Cause it's like the middles is like, I think a lot of people know like where they're going. Like sometimes the idea comes and you're like, Oh man, I know where this is going. But it's like the journey to get there, the things in between to get there. I, I, I try to focus on that a lot when I'm reading a, a novel or a comic mm-hmm. or watching a movie. I'm like, what are they doing here? Like, I, I really pause a lot, you know, cause I, when I, after I watch a movie, I'm like, oh man, that was good. But then sometimes I have to go back and rewatch the movie or reread the book or yeah. whatever it is and I go, what were they doing in the middle that worked? You know, yeah. um, and it's again, 
there's no hard and fast rule. It could be different, you know, depending on the genre, the type right. of story. Yeah. Right. There isn't any one thing, but that's really where the line is because, you know, tons of us can think of really good beginnings and, yeah. <laughs> you know, also many of us can think of a really amazing endings, but getting mm. from, you know, one to the other mm. in a way that feels vital and interesting and emotional throughout mm. i mean that that is the craft of it that's right, the thing. right i mean and and it never stops being it you know <laughs> the the book that i literally just finished the first draft of i mean mm. it hasn't been 48 hours <laughs> it's got 25 chapters i can tell you right now even before finishing my own first read through or showing it to my editor the soft spots between chapter 7 and 12 Mm, yeah, that's, yeah. That's what I'm gonna have to dig in on. Mm-hmm. I know that. Um, right. because even though this is my 20 something book, oh, you know, there's wow. like, wait a minute, this, this subplot that I thought was gonna take up more space isn't, or mm-hmm. this subplot I thought was very small actually needs more space, or, yeah. oh, mm-hmm. this character's progressed a little too far emotionally on this track at this point. Right. Now, right. Don't really have anywhere to go, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and some of these things, no matter how much you outline or plan, some of these things you're only going to discover as you do it. Right. So, yeah. Um, it's very, it, it seems very case, but which is, which is why like writing discussions, I think are so important. I think, I think writing groups are very important because it's, there's not like, it's not like you can go to like a writing class or, or a writing course. And then you come out and you're like, okay, I'm a master writer now. You know, <laughs> Yeah. it's kind of very much constantly talking about sometimes with yourself sometimes you're talking about it with yourself uh and it helps when i talk to my wife she doesn't write yeah. at all but when i talk to my wife and i'm just talking about the story um me me telling her about the story helps me figure i don't know every time i do it something clicks in my head and i'm like oh maybe oh, that's totally. yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah my, my husband is a great listener for me for whom i'm very grateful but what was it i saw something online where somebody mm-hmm. saying Here's how to help a writer with their problems. It's like, sit down. So tell me about it. Writer tells you the story goes, wait a minute. I know now. I know now. I know no, exactly. <laughs> you just sit there and listen to them. And uh, yeah. yeah, having somebody to talk some things through. I mean, you do have to watch out for the trap. And I know a few people have fallen into this trap. Like, mm-hmm. It's really, really tempting to feel like you're getting a lot done writing when you're talking about your writing. But sometimes... Right. You just start talking about the writing. I think all mm-hmm. of us have either known or been or both that person that keeps talking about a project <laughs> and developing it. And yet somehow it only creeps forward. I talked about the first Jane Austen mystery, which is called The Murder of Mr. Wickham. That's going to be out in the top of May. Um, I talked about that book, I think, literally for about five years before finally. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I better shut up and do this thing, and or else it, it's yeah. not going to happen. It's just going to turn into like a conversational thing I have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, and sat down and went and did that finally. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of that work was super. Some of that talk was super useful. I did work out a few things. Like I went back and looked at my first notes the other day. I was like, "Whoa, some of this changed a lot." Right? Before. Oh, that happened so much. Yeah. <laughs> what the heck? But. Mm-hmm. um you know, it had gone past that point. What mm-hmm. talking about it could do for the idea had been done. Right, it right. Been done. You know, right. And it's kind of like, you know, put up or shut up. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I do think that's very, I, so I think it's, I, I think it's very important, like, like you said, to just do the writing as opposed mm-hmm. to like, that's, 
that's probably one of the most common things I, I see in the writing world is, you know, again, myself included, I, 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 I've been there. I do it sometimes um, uh, where, where I'm just sitting there talking with somebody about the project, but I'm going to, I'm going to mess with my sister for a minute. She's my sister. I'm allowed to, uh, my sister does this a lot. She, she, she wants to write and we talk about the story. And every time we talk about it, I'm like, Hey, so how far are you want to get? Oh, I'm going to get to it. <laughs> <I'm just> like, <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, and I know she will, I know she will, but uh, it's, it's very yeah. much the, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, like you said, like writers groups are good. If you have a good one, yeah. you know, yeah. um, they're good for making you have something to show. Uh, obviously not all critiques are valid critiques or useful critiques. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, somebody who just doesn't vibe with the genre that you're writing, for instance, their reactions to the story are theirs and maybe totally valid, but they're not necessarily going to be any good for you to use. Right. Right. Revisions. This is somebody who's not going to be picking that story or book up anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I mean, it's a dorky, but I do this a lot. Uh, you, I have a number of writer friends here in New Orleans, which is great. Mm-hmm. And literally sometimes we're like, we want to be social and do this. And we'll yeah. all either go to a coffee house or sometimes my house mm-hmm. and just sit around a table and nobody talks for four hours. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think, uh, know. there, I, there's, uh, one of the times that I did NaNoWriMo. They did. This was a, several years ago. Um, uh, they had. They had I, I live in Atlanta, so they had Atlanta meetup, and yeah, yeah, they had the giant group meetups. Everybody, like, I mean, like these. I mean, huge meetups. Everybody's in like they. We took over our Starbucks or something. Um, mm-hmm. all off of Peachtree. And, yeah, I've, I've gone to NaNoWriMo things like that. Yeah, <laughs> and as well, everybody's just quiet. Yeah, quietly right. <laughs> yeah and like having a couple of good friends that you can do that with or somebody like you know maybe every hour or so you talk for about five to ten minutes and then you dive back in for another two hours and then you come yeah. out and chat a little bit like having a few people like that is huge mm-hmm. spur i think to productivity mm-hmm. yeah you, you know you you do get it done because somebody's over there and even if they're not watching your screen you know <laughs> and you're you know, surfing, whatever. <laughs> they're, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna notice. Yeah, there's an accountability factor there. Just knowing yeah. that I, and just knowing that somebody else is doing it too. Like sometimes when you're writing by yourself in your office, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just kind of like, oh, I'm slogging through this, and you're thinking like, well, you know, Claudia Gray or or Charles Soule or whoever, they're probably just typing away, like knocking out chapter after chapter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> how do i you know but i'm just sitting here staring at my blank screen but then you know but kind of like um and i'm stuck on this thing but when you're with other people and you see and you can glance at somebody else also staring at their screen for a moment and you know mm-hmm. their their fingers aren't raining out on the keyboard like for a full two hours straight you know and, and you realize yeah. there are pauses there are thought there processes are. and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, that's actually a thing like you know, I think nobody ever gets this down pat. I think everybody wrestles with it to some degree, but you know, it took me a long time to accept that some of the pacing around and thinking and whatever is part of it. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's that is part of the process. It's sort of, when do those little pullouts cease to be useful to you? Right. And like, sometimes the pullouts are at a tangent, <laughs> right. you know how it is. Like you just need to look away and come back, you know, mm-hmm. and, 
and the minute you've given yourself a bit of a break, it's like, oh, there we go. Uh-huh. Uh, but then there are also the ones where it's like, oh, I opened up the Sudoku app on my phone and it's been <laughs> you know, 90 minutes now. And yeah. I know where the seven is, but that isn't going to work <laughs> at all. Yeah, I know. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. But but yeah, I, I mean, honestly, it's like I I think the thing to take away from from this part of the conversation is 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 more more or less. Um, I think every writer goes through it. I think I think everybody goes through the the being stuck at certain points. Um, yeah. everybody goes through the having to walk around a pace. Um, I I think the difference between somebody who completes a book and somebody who's not is 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 the the discipline. And the, like you said, the prior prioritizing, I think that's the really, really big deal. Like, I think, what was it you said earlier? Um, I'm not writing unless, or I'm, I'm, I, the only, the only time I'm not writing is if I have an excuse, not, or not an excuse, but, um, no, if you, yeah, no, that isn't necessarily true anymore just because it is my job now. Right. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> carve out time to you know have a life that's a little bit of a problem but yeah 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 (laughs) it became my default thing it's like if i'm not at my day job you know or asleep uh (laughs) have to be doing another thing i am probably writing or if i don't just highly prioritize you know like going to see a friend or you know there is a television show i really want to watch instead of just like surfing through netflix and putting eight things on your list none of which but it's like you're planning that around the writing as opposed to planning the writing around everything else you know because if you if you have it too low on the priority list by the time you get to nine o'clock at night after you've done everything else you're just like i'm gonna bed (laughs) did we talk about i know we talked we've talked about the toolbox thing have we done it in this uh yeah yes yeah so yeah let's let's talk about that a little bit yeah we were discussing that a little beforehand we we didn't get quite around to it just yet but um yeah yeah i mean one of the critical reasons to finish even Mm -hmm. the attempts that you know aren't quite working out the way that you want to um I just feel like as a writer, you have so many tools in your toolbox Mm -hmm. and the, one of the like most dispiriting things, but most useful things to know is because I definitely thought there'd be a time where I would know, like, I will know how to write a book and Mm -hmm. I'll be able to write a book. And unfortunately it is, you have to figure out how to write each book. Yeah. Every single (laughs) book is going to present some new challenge, something that's a little bit different Every single one is going to require something that you haven't done before or haven't used before. Uh But every project that you finish, you add a few more tools to the toolbox. And on the next project, if you run into that problem again, you can fix that. And then you get to discover brand new problems. (laughs) But then you get a much more detailed toolkit. Uh, Uh And the book i keep talking about it but again it hasn't been 48 hours it'll be 48 hours in seven more minutes I (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i ran into a problem i had never run into before Mm -hmm. that i would have thought i would not even have understood how that could be a fundamental problem you had with a book Mm -hmm. until i had it right but i also like when i realized it i had like a day of going Ah, what an idiot I've been. Because <laughs> you do, you can't avoid this. But on the other hand, I knew I was like, I'm not sure that if this had happened to me 10 years ago, that I would have been able to understand that this is the problem because mm-hmm. it's a weird problem. Mm-hmm. It's not something you're going to find in like a list of these are things that, you know, yeah. <laughs> but like it was a weird problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, 
oh, like it's so great at least that I can identify it now. Mm-hmm. It's a very mm-hmm. weird specific difficulty that I've run into here because and it's only because I've worked on a lot of other books mm-hmm. uh, over a long period of time that I was able to go, okay, that is the problem. Yeah. And yeah. I can go back in and I can fix it and it will be a huge pain in the ass. And <laughs> uh, But you have to be able to get those tools and get those experiences that are going to help you analyze and right. maybe finishing that story that isn't quite working out. Like, okay, maybe it isn't going to work out, but mm-hmm. maybe you add a little bit into the toolbox. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, all right. And, and when you look at it as a whole, then maybe you go, well, that part works. Mm-hmm. Or this is the part that breaks. And you really have to look at it as a whole sometimes to tell. Right. You right. Know? Like, um, and this, the longer the, the product is, you know, if it's a 3000 word story, then yeah, you probably know where the issue is. But in a mm-hmm. book, sometimes things that you thought were working aren't. And yeah. <laughs> I've even had things that I thought, um, weren't working that I look back and I'm like, Oh, actually, you know, now that I'm looking at this away from that week, that was a really hard writing week. I mm-hmm. see that the scene actually is just fine, but it's the scene before it. Right. Right. <laughs> set it up correctly. Like revert. Yeah. That reverse um, engineering thing. That, that's why I, a lot of the time I love saying editing is writing because after you've written a thing, even it if it's, is. you know, it's kind of like when you're going back, you're doing the editing process, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, editing is writing and outlining is writing. You yeah, know, um, yeah. Both parts of that process uh, are <laughs> as much a part of the construction of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, you have to get yourself to a place where you're able to edit. Yeah, you have yeah, to have exactly. Thing in order to be able to edit that properly. Yeah, it, it, it feels so much better every single time I'm slogging through something and I'm hurting. Um, I, I, sometimes I, I feel the pain, and I, but I, 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 I tell myself, um, I, maybe this is a tool in itself. I don't know, but like having completed things before, I tell myself, well, I know that if I can just finish it, even if I don't like it right now, if I could just finish it, I know that when I go back, I can, I can look at it, and then I can start to tweak things, edit things, whatever, and I will start to be able to mold it and fashion it into something yeah. that, that that works in every single time. It happens every, every, like, I don't know how many times I've been in the situation like, oh, this sucks. Why am I even writing this? But then like, when I go back and do the edits, I'm like, oh, this is starting to work now. You know, um, that, that's that, that, but that feeling really only comes, um, like after you've done the hard part of feeling like you're second or whatever, slogging through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, years ago, I was talking to a friend, Charles Ardai. He writes Mm -hmm. the, um, a lot of mystery and crime fiction. He mm-hmm. has written and is the publisher of the hard case crime novels. Mm. And, uh, you know, I sort of ran into him like, uh, and I knew he was working <laughs> on a book and I was like, Oh, Charles, how's the book going? He goes, Oh, we're at the point where it's the worst book ever written. And I don't know why I ever did this. Yeah. And it really kind of helped. Like he's like, he, he's correct. That's just a phase in the writing process. And yeah. You hit it and you just go, okay, we're just going to keep going here. That's all there is to do. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to see that a couple of times before you recognize like that is a completely normal thing that happens. And Mm -hmm. I guarantee you on a number of your favorite novels of all time, the author had that moment where they're sitting in front of this, just going, no, you know, or Mm -hmm. uh, again, the Jane Austen biography, Mm -hmm. She went back and read three of her novels existed in a different form. Oh, wow. 
And then yeah. she went back and completely rewrote them mm, yeah. later. Uh, but she kept going. She kept working. Yeah. Yeah. And me, me personally, when I, I feel like when I've um, figured out or, or when I step away from something and I go back and look at it and I start to figure out what this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. I feel more empowered. Like I feel like I have momentum because there's something there. So yeah. I feel more empowered to go ahead and, yes. and, and work on it. Like I feel like the ball is rolling and I'm just working at this point. It, that be, that becomes the default. You know, when I get off yeah, of work, I'm like, okay, I got, I got to, I know what I got to fix. Let's, let's do it. Let's fix it now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Uh, and I mean, that is, I mean, gosh, it's getting really Dumbo's feather, but, uh, <laughs> you have to believe that you're able to do this thing and mm-hmm. doing it once, even if it's done badly, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of my first stuff that I look at, I'm not happy with. Mm. Those first X-Files fan fiction stories, they were not <laughs> good, my friend. They were yeah. not good. Even by the not super high bar of X-Files <laughs> fan fiction, right. on Alt-TV X-Files creative in the year of our Lord, 1995. <laughs> <laughs> the 2400 baud modem, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a thing. Mm-hmm. But... um yeah, like just knowing, knowing that you have the power to finish it, that you have the power to edit it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, like you said, the first time you fix something, then you have the knowledge, like, I know I can successfully edit this. Right, and right. You start doing a few different things. You begin to recognize, like, oh, look, I've done this thing where I fall in love with a word again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that, that part's fun too, is getting rid of those double words and triple words. Yeah. Like, yeah. I found a paragraph where I'd used the word wheel five times and only one of them referred to a wheel. Oh. <laughs> was I just being spun around the whole time I was writing this? No, what happened? You like, know? what? Yeah, yeah. How did, how, how did we get here? Wheel. Yeah. Uh, and I hit uh, the word greatly the other day. I was like, all right, greatly's got to go. Jane Austen mm-hmm. used it some for flavor, but mm-hmm. this, we, we got to get it out. I, I will say, though, what, one thing I will say, I, I think sometimes when you know you're doing just a very rough draft, I think sometimes it's okay to leave those double words uh, in there because yeah. you know you're going to, you know, later on you're going to come out and take them out of the edits, you know? <laughs> yeah, sometimes like, and also, I mean, Wheel was clearly telling me something. Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Senate, that paragraph and that scene were about like disorientation and mm. a lot of different things happening, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I had to come back and work on that, but it was sort of like pressing something. You know, it wasn't completely random. It was the mm-hmm. feeling I was trying to get aclo- across just in that particular day. My brain could mm-hmm. not think of any way to do that other than feel. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Writing is cre- creative things in, in general are kind of a nebulous cloud of a feeling. I know there's a feeling, there's a theme, there's a, there's something I'm trying to capture. Now I got to make it real in the form of words. Like, <laughs> you know, how do I do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it. And I think a lot of people get discouraged just way too early, way too like the first, the first few things aren't going to look the way you want them to in the end, almost right. certainly. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody out there has just sat down and started writing beautifully from the get go because it's a big universe, but right. <laughs> they're not, they're not the norm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> at all. Yeah. You're, you're going to do a lot of stuff that isn't the way you want it to be, but that's going to be building blocks that get you to where you want to be. Right. Right. Exactly. No, I, I, I truly agree. I, I think it's, it's a huge deal 
to just keep work, keep going, like do it first of all, and then keep working at it. Like just keep going, have discussions with other writers, um, mm-hmm. listen to podcasts. I mean, podcasts are always very inspirational. Like I mentioned writing excuses at the beginning, whenever yeah. I'm feeling kind of in a slump or I, like wake up sucking or something, I'm, oh, let me just go listen to a writing podcast or something like that. Um, you know. Yeah, the, I love writing excuses, and there are a couple of others that I've listened to and have really enjoyed and gotten something out of. I have, um, you know, a, a couple of you've seen these things that are like cards that you pull that are like plot ideas or this or that. Oh, I, I don't those for Christmas. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't construct entire plots out of them, but I do think I just sit around and play with them and see. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had one. A friend and I were sitting around doing this. God, I'm a dork. But we were <laughs> these cards and we were just trying to name fictional characters that embodied it. And right, one of the yeah. characters who smokes were like, Logan, Wolverine, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> person with a temper problem. Wolverine, also Wolverine. It's yeah. like, person who should not be in charge. Also Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine is all the cards. He, he is every character in this deck. He's right. Wolverine. Right now we now, now we can start to deconstruct Wolverine's yeah. character and personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and it's so great. Like I, I am still amazed, humbled, and grateful that I live a life where deconstructing Wolverine can actually count as work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really is. Like it's never like like yeah. Just just having discussions about like breaking down like. I don't know. Like people talk about TV shows all the time. Oh, did you watch such and such last night? Sure. Yeah. But now, like you said, yeah, now with writing, like everything that I think about and honestly, I was going to say TV and books and or stories, but honestly, the world, anything in the world that you think about can be broken down to a certain level to something like, oh man, I can write about that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I bought um, I, I bought Masterclass, so you don't have to. Um, I, honestly, a lot mm. of it I thought was was good, but uh, it just didn't stream well for me. And mm, yeah. I'm not going to keep paying this to watch, you know, a wheel turn instead of the thing. But I watched one of the ones uh, that Dan Brown taught from The Da Vinci oh. And yeah. The Da Vinci Code was a mammoth bestseller. It is not generally recognized as like, you know, a triumph of the literary form. Right. But what I always tell people, because this is another thing that I think aspiring writers, starting out writers really get hung up on. They want to avoid mistakes. Mm, yeah. That if you avoid mistakes, somehow it's good writing. It's, and it, no. <laughs> You've got to get something really powerfully right. And if you get something really right, Mm-hmm. readers will forgive you almost anything you got wrong right yeah you know, the da vinci code there's a cliffhanger every 750 words <laughs> do that i don't know right uh, and he also took a really radical feminist critique of christianity and turned it into like total mainstream entertainment I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but i always tell writers like if you see something like this that's sold that much mm-hmm. you got something right and you can sit around all day and gripe about everything that isn't good in it. Mm. That's not pushing you forward as a writer at all. Right. Look and see what they got right. Right. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to look at this guy's, you know, thing and just sort of see what he says. And one thing that he was talking about, he goes, okay, let's say there's a world you're interested in. What if it's the world of underwater archaeology? Mm-hmm. But you don't know, like, what are the, what are the problems in underwater archaeology where would i start to construct a plot and he goes google 
underwater archaeology plus litigation. And I was like, oh, genius. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Like any topic that will delve up, like here are the crisis points. Literally any topic you, you have that. And then you're able to like direct your reading from there. And, and I think, like I said, it's valuable. If somebody's hitting with the public in a certain way, even if Mm -hmm. you don't love what they do, even if not everything they do is great, they know something. Right. Knowing what that is. Oh, and now I know we're reaching the end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've told this anecdote before, but I think it's, it sort of plays on what we're talking about. And I think it's really important. It's one of the main lessons I think I learned as a writer ever. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to Thriller Fest in New York. You know, this is a while ago. Uh, I would just been published for a year or two. And I had not written a thriller. I guess you would say that I still have not written a thriller, but it was general <laughs> writing as well as thriller writing. Um, first of all, at least as of that time, Thriller Fest was a great convention. If it's still like that, then I recommend it because yeah. they had things like they had CIA, former CIA people come in and talk about how they would develop an asset or a bomb mm. squad come in and talk about like, here's how bombs are found, et cetera. Wow. All the stuff that people could like really dig in and figure out what's working with their plots or what isn't Mm -hmm. as well as craft sessions. Well, um, one of the headliners, like the main headliner was Lee child. Who's written all the Jack Reacher books, you know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, manly man with gun (laughs) action. Yeah. And they are super popular and they're, Uh, And they had other breakout sessions with other major thriller writers. And one of them was Sandra Brown, who came up from Mm. the romance and now writes sort of romantic thrillers that Mm -hmm. are all very popular. Well, uh, I guess she was like right after lunch or something. And I ran a little late. So I crept in at the back, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) got to the back row and I'm sitting there. And then I realized two things. One, the person sitting two chairs down from me was Lee Child. (laughs) he he was taking notes yeah and i was like that is the attitude you have to have this guy didn't look at the millions and millions of books he'd sold be like i know everything right yeah i was like i still have things to learn and he didn't assume that he wouldn't have something to learn from somebody who wrote a very different kind of book than him Mm. audience than he usually courts he assumed he would and apparently he had because he was writing this down like this is critical right and exactly that was a huge lesson to me in the fact that like you always keep learning mm-hmm. you can learn from a lot of different sources you know yes your favorites but other stuff too mm, uh, yeah and, and that is just an attitude i've always tried to keep with me Right. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's very, you know what it makes me think about? Uh, mm-hmm. every, every time I see Yoda in Star Wars comics uh-huh. or like the TV, uh, like, like in the Clone Wars TV series, Yoda and everything that I've seen him in is always learning something. And mm-hmm. I think that's super profound. I know there are different writers who've written those, those arcs, yeah. the one from the Clone Wars. And then there's a different one. Mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, in the first volume, the current volume of Star Wars, the first one. Um, yeah. Uh, the 2015 one. Um, but yeah, every time you see Yoda, Yoda is learning something. And it's interesting because he is thought to be, or he is the wisest, oldest Jedi, you know? Uh-huh. And the fact that he is still at his 900 years old or however long, however old he is, um, learning things is like really, that's a, that's a true lesson there. Um, that's yeah. that, I thought about that when you said he was sitting there writing those notes. But there was, 
you know, I, I read a ton of Star Trek novels back in the day. Uh, and in the 80s, they were great because they just had no need to fit into canon at all. Yeah. Any- <laughs> uh, but Diane Duane wrote several of them and uh, some really good ones. And I still remember, and I was, you know, a little thing at this point reading mm-hmm. this book. But uh, in the Vulcan Temple, you had the students, you know, of, of um, oh, what's his name? How could I forget this? Sorak. Mm. The guy developed the philosophy of logic. I can't believe I almost forgot the story. <laughs> um, but anyway, they, they were the students. And then after you'd been at it for a few decades and you'd really risen up, you became a student adept. Mm. And then you had the person who led the entire thing. Mm-hmm. And it said, but 10 years ago, she had dropped the adept and named herself student again. Oh, wow. Wow. She had gotten far up enough to realize how much she didn't know. Right, and, right. Uh, yeah, that's and profound. We can all learn from the Vulcans there, is what <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, yeah. So, we, I mean, we, we've gone through a lot of, a lot of different <laughs> things. I think, I think are pretty valuable, to be honest. I mean, I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I could, I, I could talk about writing forever. Like, I, I say it all the time. Um, I do writers' chats every Wednesday at six. Uh, we do another Ooh. one tomorrow. Um, and, we just go on in those chats. <laughs> like we, we just go on and on and on sometimes. Uh, but it's just like, there's just so much. Um, I would probably like to remind people, um, bring, bring them back to something you said earlier, which is, uh, don't get lost in the trap of talking about writing and make sure you're doing the writing. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, it can be talking can be great and can help you out immensely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if it's not being paired with, you know, at least an equal amount of writing, like then, then. <laughs> You have a problem. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, okay. Can you tell people, um, uh, well, real quick, what, what you're working on right now that you can talk about, um, uh-huh. what you're working on right now and, um, uh, where people can find you, um, online. And you just came out with the, the Star Wars book last month. Um, yeah. Any other things? Uh, yeah. My last book was, uh, Star Wars, the High Republic, the Fallen Star that came out, I think just over a month ago. Mm-hmm. And my next novel will be The Murder of Mr. Wickham, which is coming mm-hmm. out first Tuesday in May. Uh, Characters from all six of Jane Austen's books wind up at a house party where Mr. Wickham in the history of Austen's rogues and a lot of Agatha Christie villains, because I think of this as uh, Agatha Christie, Jane Austen mashup. Uh, Yeah. It turns out his insidious influence has messed with a lot of people's lives and winds up dead. Everybody's got a motive. Mm -hmm. Uh, The murderer will be a beloved character. uh, Oh, goodness. Because I stretch, I place the novels at different points during the Regency period, which lasted 20 years. So, mm. um, the sleuths are the son of Darcy and Elizabeth and the daughter of Catherine and Henry from Lithonger <laughs> Abbey. Uh, wow. they're the only two people who have to be innocent. So mm-hmm. they are the ones, uh, digging into this. And Agatha Christie and Jane Austen were the two giants of getting a lot of repressed English people trapped in a house together. <laughs> what happen. Wow. Okay. That's okay. So I'm probably going to check that out when it comes yeah. out. And I know, um, but my sister's like a like a fan of Jane Austen stuff, so um, I'm gonna let her know as well. <laughs> now, I just finished the sequel to that book, which is not yet named. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, and despite the little issue I mentioned about with chapter seven through twelve, it's gonna get fixed. We're yeah. Gonna get fixed. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> and then I'm actually I've actually got a pretty busy year. I'm not able to announce anything else just yet, but okay. yeah. it's gonna be a busy year over here. 
Okay, cool. And where can people find you at online? If they're um, looking? No. you can find, I really need to update my website. I meant to do this before. <laughs> um, but you know how it is like lockdown time. You're like, was that two months ago or two years ago? I right. don't know. <laughs> um, it's, uh, ClaudiaGray.com. That's gray with an A and it has links to all of my social media. I don't do most of my social media anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I do have appearances, which we're finally starting to get some again, uh, right. those um, will be posted on Twitter by my assistant. Uh, I do my own Tumblr for all 12 of you who are still on Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but my Instagram sort of wherever you follow you, you can, you can follow me from there. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And, um, of course you can find me at, uh, fourthwall.net. That's where the podcast is at. You can also look up, uh, beyond the fourth wall of writing on all major podcasts. So you'll, it'll be there. Uh, just make sure you type fourth wall with I V W A L L. Um, and yeah, I mean, with that, I mean, that's it. We're, uh, honestly, like that was, that was a great, that was a great discussion. Um, yeah, <laughs> absolutely love it. Uh, thank you for coming on. I, I do have to say before, before we like officially close, I have to say after interviewing you, you on this podcast, I have successfully interviewed every member of Project Luminous, <laughs> the oh, original okay. Project Luminous. So I, I didn't mean for it to happen like that. I just recognized it along the way. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. Right. Yes, yes. We're uh, at least as of the time of taping, uh, we will all actually see each other for the first time in two years uh, next wow. week. Wow, that yeah. is. I, mean, awesome. I see that they older because he lives in town, and right, yeah. We've literally like run into each other cold at the diner, you know, pre-pandemic. But um, right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the others, you know, we haven't seen each other in so long, so that's going to be pretty amazing. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I, yeah, I mean, I was happy to. I was, I was at Star Wars Celebration a couple of years back when Project Luminous was was first announced. So I was like, wow. And then you know, of course, it got revealed a little bit later. There was going to be High Republic and all the stuff. All the High Republic stuff is great. So. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's so hard to believe that that was that long ago. It was three years ago. Yeah. Three. Oh, it's 2022 now. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what time it was in April, wasn't it? I, yeah. April. It was April. Yeah. It was uh, 15th or something, somewhere around there. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, because it snowed, which of course in Chicago doesn't make it down a lot. Right. I remember that because I, I was there. I remember how happy all the Hoth cosplayers were. They were just like photo ops. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, a, it was a great time. It was, I mean, that, that Star Wars celebration was great. My family's from Chicago, so I was happy to be there in oh. Chicago. Um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it was a great time. But no, again, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Um, I had a blast. Right. Yeah. Great, great discussion. And, uh, we'll catch everybody next time. All right.